Welcome to Women in Electronics, the only show that empowers, develops, advocates, and celebrates the accomplishments and advancement of women in the electronics industry. With your host, Jackie Maddox. So here we are again today with another episode of Women in Electronics podcast series. And I'm here with a new friend that I met from doing a panel session, Chris Church. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for having me, Jackie. All right. Nice to have you here. Before we get started, I'll just turn it over to you, Chris, to introduce your company, Macrofab, what you do there and what you're doing in the industry. Excellent. Yes. So I am the co-founder and chief product officer here at Macrofab. And at Macrofab, what we are is a digital electronics manufacturing platform. So we enable our customers to come in, upload their design files, get an instantaneous price for labor, materials, instantaneous lead time, and with the click of a button, order low volume production. And then from that point, we enable them to scale into higher volume production through a network of manufacturers that we work with. We're a platform that gives you access us to about a hundred different factories. So if you need one unit, or if you need a hundred units or a hundred thousand units, we make that right fit for the right order at the right time and give you real-time pricing and lead time on that. And one of the really the big things that we really focus on is really enabling our customers to manage their production from one single viewpoint. So if they've got, you know, our typical customer will have a number of products, say 10, 15, 20 products, typically in the the low to mid volume space. So up to about 30, 40,000 units a year, typically. And they're typically in the industrial controls, robotics, communication space. So we enable them to manage that production across a host of factories while only having to interface with Macrofab. So we become the manufacturer of record. We manage that production. We move workloads around in real time, you know, to help, you know, to best meet the customer's needs and really help them solve those challenges. Well, that's really interesting. And really, now I'm remembering back to our panel discussion, but this is really critical right now with all the supply chain issues, right? Because, and I think I remember you saying that a lot of bill materials are missing parts when they go to manufacturing, like you said, like 95% or something. Is that, you would say that again, because that just stunned me. What we look at is typically, you know, we talk about that first point of quote. So when a customer or user first uploads their design to our platform, we're able to analyze and see material availability along with factory availability and put those two together. And what we're typically seeing is about 95 to 98% of the designs that get uploaded to our platform have one or more materials that are out of stock. And this is compared to, say, maybe two years ago, where, you know, we might see 15 or 20%. But one of the things I want to really touch on is not just about material availability. Even if you're able to get your materials and manufacture them, say, in Eastern Asia, trying to get that manufactured good shipped back here to the U.S., is a challenge in and of itself, right? We have, I think I just saw a graphic yesterday of how many ships are waiting to get into China, to Chinese ports, to pick up product and, and move it to another country like the U.S., or even here in the U.S. at the delays at the ports when things are coming in. So what we really focus with with our customers is we only work in North America, so Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And we really help them move those workloads from overseas 
back to North America. You might call it nearshoring or reshoring. We make it a lot easier to execute that because if you think about it kind of the end of the day, if you've been doing business in China for 10, 15 years, you don't have a lot of connections to factories necessarily in the US or Mexico. You don't know what the options are there. And that's what we really enable our customers to do is to not have to worry about going and finding the right factory, making introductions, finding a salesperson there that'll talk to them, right? They can come to our platform. We already have those connections and we can pick the right factory for their product automatically in the vast majority of cases. Amazing. I mean, it's such a good timing <laughs> for what you're doing. I mean, really, and then we talked about briefly, I'll get into a few other questions I have for you as far as leadership, but this is so relevant as far as what's happening in our industry. But, you know, if you look at NPI product, your service is perfect for that, right? Because people designing NPI, I mean, you you have to know what's available and how do you launch new products? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we do when a customer, say the engineer at an organization that is still in the design phase or getting ready to exit the design phase, when they upload that design to our platform, we show them in real time the material availability for their product, the pricing down to the labor level impact of every component choice they have in their design uh, to really give them all the information they need. We let them smartly manage the alternatives for their products One of the things that we found was really important in the current supply chain area we have is that you never know when something is going to go out of stock, right? You can be in stock when you're uploading this design, you're getting your initial pricing. It might be in stock while we're purchasing. It might be in stock when we kit it. But say, for example, you are in production, there's excess loss, right? Because you know when we're manufacturing something, it's always possible that a machine can eat more parts than you anticipated or something like that. So we're in the middle of production, for example, and there's excess loss, and all of a sudden that part isn't available. Well, without having to go through you know a really onerous ECO process and really working with everyone at every level of the factory, we enable our customers to come in, identify that issue, and immediately find those replacement components or you know alternative components they can use. And because we are a digital manufacturing platform, that information gets all the way to the manufacturing line in real time. So it enables our customers to really react. Um, and you know, have options available to them that have been more challenging historically. Interesting. I'm going to ask you one more question on that before I get into all the other questions that I originally intended to ask you, but I'm interested in this. One more question on macrofab. So I recall when we had that panel discussion, and if anybody's listening, it was the Altium panel discussion. It's on the Women Electronics website. You could find it there. We were on with other channel partners. There was a distributor, there was a manufacturer, there was another digital person. And I'm just so curious about this question leading into the other leadership type of questions we have, but how is it that all, all the, um, you're all working together. There's so many different parts of this whole digital transformation, you know, process. So how is it that you work together with the other channel partners? To put it quite bluntly, we all have the same problem, right? We are in the market assisting our customers in getting their product to their customers. So whether you're a component distributor, component manufacturer, a data source for all three of us, 
we all have to work together at the end of the day to ensure that the customer's needs are being met. We cannot build the product if we can't buy the components from the distributor. The distributor cannot have the components if they can't see what the customers actually need and what the manufacturers are making. So it requires all of us to work together and interact in real time. Now, you're kind of hidden in there is like, why why these this combination of companies, why these distributors, why these manufacturers, why people like Macrofab is because we've all made a decision to interact, not just through sort of the traditional sales channels, but digitally through APIs, through interfaces between our software systems. So for example, with DigiKey, um, not only do we integrate with them for real-time stocking information along with other sources we have, but we also integrate with them um, in real-time automated order entry because that reduces the time it takes to satisfy a customer's order once it comes in through our platform and reduces the possibility that a part is going to go out of stock. It also reduces the chance of error, right? You know, we're not having people type in part numbers or anything like that, which can cause other issues and delays. Because if you accidentally order the wrong part and then the correct part goes out of stock, all of those become issues. So we really look at it in a couple of ways, right? One is to ensure that we're providing the best possible real-time information to the end customer. Two is really to minimize the time it takes to satisfy the needs, therefore, you know, the reduce the possibility of, you know, out of stock issue or something like that. And then third is to reduce the possibility of human error in there. So when we start combining all three of those things, while we at Macrofab really focus on providing our customers agility in their manufacturing, you know, all the things we've talked about, the ability to move workloads from one factory to another very, very quickly, you know, identifying the right factory, all of that is really around agility. But we can't do that on our own, right? We have to work with an agile supply chain as well to actually achieve that goal. Otherwise, we have a very agile front end, and then everything behind that becomes very, very manual and error prone. Wow. Well, okay. So that's a great description. And thank you for that. I just wanted to, it's interesting because we focus a lot on the channel. So we have suppliers on here. We have distributors. We have different aspects of the channel reps, you know, you name it. And it's really interesting time to bring that digital component to the hardware, electronic component manufacturing. It's, it's really exciting at this time to see the digital component uh, come together. So anyway, I was just very interested about that, but we will get on to some other questions, Chris. And one of the things that we were chatting about a little bit prior is I was saying that we have a lot of companies doing a lot of things, but why? Like, what's your why, Chris? Like, what is it? Like, why are you here? And obviously, you're you're trying to do some type of digital transformation. But what's your why behind all of this personally? All right. So that may be a slightly longer story. So I'll try to I'll try to condense it as much as I can. So my background is in software and networking computing specifically. Okay. So, you know, I kind of, you know, for many years cut my teeth in networking and mm -hmm. automating workflows and stuff like that. But I took a divergence in my career into robotics for a while. And that's where I first became a, a customer of manufacturing and contract electronics manufacturing. And I was really struck with how 
over several decades, so much of the investment had gone, and rightfully so, into the manufacturing line and the capabilities of the products we could produce and the quality of the products, the miniaturization, all of this great work had gone into that. But the experience I was having was that the customer interface was lagging behind that investment. And so in a lot of cases, you know, I had I was dealing with very, very high-tech manufacturing lines and capabilities and using a very low-tech human-to-human interface. And that created a lot of problems for me as a customer. Specifically, I'm a design engineer by heart, really, whether it's software or electronics. And I work when I work and I finish my work when I finish my work. And I want nothing more than instantaneous feedback about the result of my work. I was really struck by how it was impossible for me to get a price on something I finished designing at two o'clock in the morning. All right. So I've got to wait now potentially days or weeks before I'll know the impact of those changes I made on that product. And we were a small customer, right? With a very diverse workload from a couple units a year for one product to thousands of units a year for another product. I never really could find the one right fit for us. So I said, look, you know, I've learned a lot in networking and computing that really apply to this and specifically the cloud transformation, right? That is going from cell phone data center where we owned our own data centers and we bought our own hardware to what we did, what we call co-location where we would use someone else's data center and we do a contract with them to provide bandwidth and computing. That was very much like the contract manufacturing market. But then there's this concept of cloud computing where everything is software controlled There's no need to talk to anybody. We can push buttons and spin up whole data centers. I said, I really want something like that for manufacturing. I really want a cloud manufacturing service. So I went out there looking, couldn't find it. And so I said, I guess I don't have a choice but to build it. And so that's why we came to exist as a business and how I came into electronics manufacturing was really focusing as a customer really trying to create the solutions I needed for my business at the time and deliver those in a way that I personally, as someone you know who's really much more software focused, really wanted those services delivered. Amazing. So I love that because you're taking something that you personally love and that's like a hobby for you and you're actually making other people's lives better. <laughs> because of it too. I love, that's like part of innovation. I love that. Um, and really other than, than that, what, what are some of your personal hobbies, Chris? Like what, what do you do when you're not designing or, <laughs> or, or, or um, things like that? Yeah. You know, uh, my wife would say I have a lot of hobbies, right? So the, the key hobby, I think I, uh, I gravitate towards the most is I like long running electrical mechanical projects right? Um, Whether it's refurbishing old hardware, uh, record players, et cetera, or developing, you know, new automations for something I'm trying to do around the house. Like I have a project I've been working on for a while right now, just doing uh, automating um, uh, what you call microscopic photography, right? Uh, You know, using motors and linear actuators and stuff to move things on the nanometer scale and take you know tens of thousands of photos to take a large photo of something very very small you know just just things like that big projects that I can really sink my teeth into learn some new skills you know something that might require some machining you know some electrical engineering some software development 
you know, anything that's multidisciplinary like that, I really like that. That, of course, sounds like the sort of thing somebody like me might do for a hobby. So the other things, I'm, I'm really big into cooking and hunting and being outdoors. You know, the whole, we like to call it the, the field to table movement. So whether it's gardening or hunting and doing all of that, uh, it's, it's really, it's very similar to the other hobby, right? It's a bottoms up put a lot of, a lot of uh, yeah. things together and uh, come up with a, a final outcome from first mm-hmm. principles, if you would. Well, that's really good that you're taking the cooking aspect of it too. I'm sure your wife benefits from that. <laughs> Try to be innovative with the cooking. I used to do something kind of similar. I'm, I was making candles. I, I had a candle company for a long time and it was like a science experiment. I loved it. And it was also very creative. So I really liked that a lot. You know, you mentioned from what you described, it, it's keeping that curious nature. So it's funny because a lot, almost every successful person that I interview they have some sort of a curiosity about life. And that really leads to a lot of creativity, I think. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. Now, here you are, though. You're this innovator and this digital guy who's now a co-founder of a really great company in our industry. And so what are some leadership principles that you have learned along the way that are helping you now leading in a very trying time. This is a very odd time <laughs> yeah. to be a leader and especially in our industry, in the tech world. What are some insights on that? There are a couple things that, you know, I've really learned along the way that helped me to work with the team and really get everybody kind of to the, to the level of performance we're, we're, we're looking for. And one of the first things is to really have a strong opinion about the culture of the company or of the team you're working in and what is most important and focus on that consistently with the team. Mm. Remind them consistently of what the cultural aspects are that matter and give good examples one of the easiest things for us to do as human beings is to say, hey, I really value this thing the most, except when this happens, then I value that. No, no, no. If that is the thing that you value the most, you have to show clear examples of that. I think one of the things we always talk about with our team quite a bit is really a customer first approach. And what we mean by that is not the customer's always right. Our job is to be the expert for the customer, but to always be focusing on the best customer outcomes. So it's really easy, especially we see a lot in manufacturing, people don't want to be wrong or to have made a mistake. And so we make a point, consistently remind people that it's okay to make mistakes as long as you're doing that in the service of making making sure the customer's interests are put first. So really, really focusing on that and showing people that you mean it by giving them the opportunity to execute the way you're saying and rather than getting mad when things don't go right, you encourage them to continue to make mistakes as long as it's in line with the cultural milestones you've set out for everybody. That's one of the critical things. And I think that goes hand in hand with that is what we like to say is leading from the front, especially when you're a small company or you're getting started or a small team, there's always more work to do than any one person can really do. And especially that it's just for the people you hire and the team you hire. So getting out there and showing them that you're willing to do any job there is in the organization or in the team, regardless of whether it's above or below your experience level or your pay grade or anything like that, 
But if there's a task to be done, showing people that you're willing to get up there and do it encourages yeah. everyone else to really react that way. Because one of the things I think for us and for many other companies, being able to be very agile and move very quickly and take on new challenges is really what separates a lot of companies from success and failure now, right? Whether it's supply chain issues yeah. or technologies, you know, changing every day and being able to have a whole team that's willing to get out there and say, well, you know, this new thing has popped up. I don't have to go ask permission. I don't have to wait for someone else to do it. I can jump in there and take care of this. I think this is really critical for modern teams to be able to kind of have everybody come in there and fill any role at any point in time. And I think that starts from a leadership top down. When you say to someone that's working with you, hey, I'm not going to do that because it's not my job or it's beneath me or I'm too busy, right? That just sets a message for everyone that things aren't as important as we make them out to be. And we just don't have to do that. I think it's always very important if something needs to be done, well, I'll find a way to get in there and help do it with them, mm -hmm. right? If there's an email that needs to be sent, well, that's the easy one, right? I'll send the email. But it's, sometimes it's like, hey, you know, there's a really complex report that we got to dive into what happened here and everyone's really busy. Okay, well, I'll do it tonight after dinner, right? And then we'll make sure and we, it gets done today. Those are the kinds of things we look for out of the team. And I've always really focused on, again, those two things, culture and leading from the front. Lots of wisdom and tidbits in what you just said. I mean, so many things. We notice with women electronics that the agility you described, I, I would say that is so critical. And then you said encouraging mistakes. Mm -hmm. That is really profound because I would say that in working with a lot of the women and women electronics, what we tend to need to overcome is women in particular, again, I'm generalizing, is this perfectionism or this feeling like you have to be perfect. You have to do it all right. Do you have any comments? Like, do you see that in your organization? Do you see people just wanting to be perfect or not wanting, like you kind of mentioned, not wanting to make mistakes? Is that kind of gender neutral or do you see that like well, what are your comments on that i would say from my perspective it's gender neutral it actually tends to be more industry focused right yeah. so that is not to say that there aren't within industries that there isn't especially as a woman coming into an organization that's largely men i could see very very much how one would be very concerned at making mistakes right. but i think that's a again i go back to that right that is an organizational problem more than a personal problem, right. right? If you have an organization that is not encouraging people to get out there, try new things, to learn on the job, then you're not going to get any mistakes, but you're also not going to get any growth, right? Yeah. Mistakes are critical to learning, right? Yeah. We cannot be at our best and at our peak if we're not making a lot of mistakes along the way. That means we're sticking within what we know already. Yeah. Right. I make probably 15, 20 mistakes a day. Easy. Some might say 50, right? Yeah, um, I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's true. No, I try to fix them very quickly, right? You know, but right. I would say that for any person, especially a woman coming into an organization or a career path that's not traditionally more gender balanced, is feel free to get out there and show that you're trying. The right people will notice that. 
And if someone isn't, there's always a good time to make a change, whether it's to a different team or a different organization. But in today's day and age, right, there are a lot of companies that really celebrate learning on the job, being experts. And I mean, you don't become an expert by sitting there and oh, I'm not going to try that new thing because yeah. I might mess it up. But by trying new ways of doing things. Now, obviously, right, if we're working in a life safety kind of thing, right, where people can be hurt or killed, right, we want to minimize the mistakes we make there. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, typically, if we're talking about um, working our day to day office jobs, for example, that's a great experimental environment to try new processes, to try new tools to try a new way of doing things, right? And I see a lot of people who make mistakes and then still don't end up being successful because one of the things that we need to make sure we're doing is that we're focused on the outcomes we're trying to achieve, not necessarily how we get there. Right. Um, how we get there should be experimental. We should learn. But I think that if anyone starts out with, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. This is the positive outcome I am trying to reach. And that is why I'm doing the things I'm doing. You get a lot more leeway from the people around you yeah. versus saying, well, I did this and it didn't work. Okay, well, why'd you do that? So, so a big part of it is the organization supporting that. But I think at an individual level, it's very, very critical to broadcast to your peers, your team, the people around you, the reasons behind why you're, you're making the experiments so that you control how it is perceived by others rather than just leaving it up to them. Oh, that person keeps making mistakes. Well, I'm making these mistakes because I'm trying to double the productivity of our process. So yeah. I'm going to go down a lot of dead ends as I do this. this is a really hard challenge. That is you know, a very different takeaway for the team members around them versus, man, they just keep not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. That was such a good point. I actually really love that point. Focus on the outcomes and not the process. I think about that movie and my favorite movie of all times is Apollo 13. It was like failure is not an option, but they kept trying and trying and trying. And they knew they were just focused on that outcome. Like we are getting them home and they did it. You know, they did it. They tried all these different things that kept failing, 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 but they, they just kept at it. So it's like, don't give up. Right. Like, right. You might try a lot of different things, but you'll get there. <laughs> a good leader at a company, they often aren't able to communicate constantly what right. is really, really valuable to them. At the end of the day, they are looking for better outcomes for their organization, for their team. And if you're communicating to them, you're working towards those better outcomes. Not only are they going to be more forgiving of any mistakes you make, they might even empower you to make new and bigger ones yes. on, the, on that path to success. Yes. I love that. I think that's awesome. And now, gosh, this went so fast. We have one more question. <laughs> one quick question. I wish we had more time. So here we are talking about all this and we're women in electronics and so happy to have our male colleagues coming and supporting us and being alongside of us in this journey of men and women coming together, united to break through some systemic change, right? And to mm -hmm. open the opportunities for women in our industry. So I just want to ask you, like, what is your perspective on what we're doing and, and what is it that you see in the industry and how is it that you feel we fit in here? 
you know, I'm in a unique position. I feel very fortunate in that I get to work with a broad swath of professionals. It's, we don't just work with manufacturing or manufacturing engineering. We also have software engineering. We have product management. We have program management. We have sales, mm-hmm. kind of looking at that, that whole big picture. And in every one of the teams that I work with and interact with every day, the more diverse that team is, whether it's through gender diversity or racial diversity, but in particular background diversity, when we bring that diversity together, we make a much stronger outcome here because each person is bringing in their unique perspective. And one of the big concerns I have in a lot of cases is that I've seen organizations where women aren't given leadership positions or roles. They're not given influence. And we keep seeing the same mistakes happen over and over again, because, you know, just a group of guys sometimes can always think like a group of guys and never see these other options around them. By bringing that diversity together, we really do get to see a lot of new ways of viewing the challenges we're facing and getting a lot more input gives us much better visibility into the best possible solutions. And I've seen that in every team I've worked with, right? We have women leading development teams here. We have women leading program management teams and purchasing teams and sales teams next to male counterparts doing the same thing. And we get to see how they work together as peers and really as a more diverse team. And we just see better outcomes consistently when we have that level of diversity across our teams. Well, that's really amazing. I said I was going to ask just one, but I have one more. <laughs> what would you say to other male leaders? So here you are, you get it, Chris, you know, obviously see the benefit of diverse teams, but what would you say to other men listening who I would say sometimes men feel threatened or they might feel like they don't know where to step? What would your input or advice be to other men who are just grasping <laughs> this idea of women getting to leadership roles? Yeah, so that's where I want to go back to what we talked about earlier is establishing your focus on culture. I find it's very challenging to say the wrong thing when you set a very strong focus on culture and you live that every day. If you come in and establish what your cultural tenants are and you really write those down and then you think about those as a leader, every time you're interacting with your team, the risk of you doing something you shouldn't do, right? Or saying something you shouldn't say gets much more minimized. That that key trick is though, you got to be able to actually document what an important culture is for your business Hmm. and then sit back and ask yourself, am I living up to that? Am I leading according to those same principles. If you have cultural principles that are allowing for you to accidentally say the wrong thing or to not take that input in, my suggestion is to actually go back and look at those cultural principles and view them through a lens of, do they create that diversity we want or not? And I know that sounds a little declarative, like, oh, you're, you're making a mistake. And I don't think most people are. I think they're just not really sitting down and analyzing right. what the culture for their company should be. The biggest one I always see as a mistake in the cultural thing is having high performance as a sole principle, right? right? Let, let's just hit our targets. Let's just hit our targets. Mm-hmm. If you have that without some other... Um, 
you know, modifying things there like trust in team yeah. or customer first, what you end up doing is you see something that looks like it's working and you just do more of that without realizing that you may be inhibit, inhibiting the performance of your company and your team. So looking at your culture, thinking through the key points in there and asking, is this the sort of culture that would create a diverse environment and allow a diverse environment to flourish? And if you can't say that, go back and tweak and adjust it until you get there and then send that message to everyone on your team, right? Keep reiterating the importance of that culture. And then I think you'll find that it's really easy those right principles set in place, it's really easy to bring in a more diverse team because you're showing them that they're accepted from the very first moment you interact with them. It's right. not a, hey, you're fine with our culture as long as you fit in this really, really high pressure environment where everybody likes to yell at each other. Yes. That's probably not a good culture, we would say, right? Yes, I love that. Uh, ending on that note, values, uh, and it all starts with the top. It really does. It starts with the leadership team and the leadership team being very aware and taking those, uh, having those values and those guiding principles as the overarching cultural checkpoint really in the organization. I love that, Chris. And I thank you for being here. It just went super fast and love everything that you had to say. So appreciate that you joined us today. Absolutely. I always enjoy talking to you. All right. Well, we'll see you soon. You've been listening to another episode of Women in Electronics right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.